Please stand for the reading of God's word from James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is God's words for us today. You may be seated. Good morning and welcome to Grace. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Grace. Specifically, I am the staff pastor at our downtown congregation that meets on Sunday nights. I am thrilled to be here with you to finish out this book of James as we finish up chapter 5. In the... We conclude the book of James by talking about prayer. Prayer is something that is very complex. It is very emotionally charged. We have lots of thoughts and emotions about it. But it is also something that is deeply personal. It's complex, but it's very personal and experiential as well. So what does the Bible actually say about prayer? As we've been going through this series, through the book of James, the theme of it, as Zach said, is genuine faith leads to good works. So James is going to answer the question for us this morning, what does it look like when genuine faith leads to righteous prayer? What does righteous prayer look like? And in fact, we come to this phrase in the middle of verse 16 or the end of verse 16 that says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Even as we read that phrase, maybe we're familiar with that phrase, but as we read that phrase, as we hear that phrase, as we memorize that phrase and know that phrase, again, it brings up a lot of complex thoughts and emotions based on our experience and our background with prayer. As we conclude the book of James, we are going to need the Lord's help to understand what we need to see about prayer this morning. So let's obey the scriptures right now and go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've spoken to us about all issues of life. You have given us everything we need for life and godliness. God, you have not just commanded us to pray, but you have showed us how to pray. You have given us instruction on prayer. You have given us examples of what righteous prayer looks like. And Father, we need to see the truth of what prayer is this morning. God, help us in our weakness as we pray. Help us with any shame we experience over our lack of prayer or the little faith that we feel we have. God, we pray that you would speak to each one here this morning. Take a moment right where you are and and just pray. Ask the Father to give you wisdom this morning. Ask the Father to teach you this morning through his spirit and his word and his people. Father, thank you 
for this gathering. Thank you that we can come here and worship you and hear from you. And Father, we pray for the wisdom that you offer us. We pray for your spirit's power. We pray that we would know and believe and share the good news of the gospel because we believe it's good news for us and it's good news for a world in desperate need of good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you prayed this morning, did you find it difficult? Did you find it hard to find the right words? Did you find yourself distracted by what you're going to have for lunch or what you forgot to eat for breakfast? Did you feel like instead of the 10 seconds that I gave you to pray, it felt like 10 minutes? We struggle with prayer. We struggle to think we pray enough. We struggle to think we pray with enough faith as we read the book of James. We struggle with different ideas and viewpoints of prayer. We think no one's getting prayer right. I'm not getting prayer right. My church isn't getting prayer right. Even as we pray, we're flooded with thoughts and emotions about our prayer or lack thereof. There are many reasons that prayer is difficult. One is all religions pray, so there's lots of different kinds of prayer. Also, it takes faith just to pray instead of trying to solve our own problems or instead of getting distracted. Also, we live in a very material world where if we want something, we go online and we order it, and the next morning it's on our doorstep. It can be hard for us to remember that without prayer and without God's supernatural provision, we would have nothing. There was a day last week when I was working here in in this building. Usually I'm working downtown in my office there, but I was working here. And I have a habit of working for 25 minutes and then taking a five-minute break. And I usually am either getting coffee, food, or exercise, and sometimes all three. Uh, But I took one of these five-minute breaks, and I went outside. It was a beautiful day, and I walked around here in the parking lot. I was just praying, getting some much-needed vitamin D. And as I'm walking around the parking lot, I have my head down, and I'm praying, and I see that there are some mulberries on the ground. There are some mulberries. And I'm like, where did these come from? And I look up and they're, they're growing on these branches above me. And as I look and see that they're growing, I can reach some of them. And so I start taking them and eating them as a snack. And it's like the most natural thing in the world, right? To need a snack and find it on a tree and take it and eat it. This is how our ancestors ate for centuries, right? This is the most common thing in the world, but it struck me I've never done this on a break at work. I've never just gone out and seen what God has provided for me. You know what I normally do? I order something and I go pick it up, or I see what's at the recesses of the bottom of my bag, or I eat the snack that I brought with me, or I get something out of the back of the fridge and try to determine is this too old to eat or not. These are the ways we normally go about getting food, but this material way of living, this concept that we think we can provide for ourselves, we've lost a sense of God has to provide or it's not going to happen. So we struggle to pray and we struggle to have faith. Here at the end of James, we do not get a comprehensive teaching on prayer, but we do learn something necessary about it. And the necessary thing that we learn about it is right here on the screen in bold. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So let's open up the text and see what it says. Verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing 
praise. James starts here by saying there are seasons for different actions. Believe it or not, but it is starting to turn into fall. And in fall, we have harvest time. We have students coming to town. We have more football on the television. We are starting to buy school supplies. There is a season for doing everything in life. And James says here, there is a season for different kinds of prayer. He starts out by saying, if we're suffering, let us pray. If we're going through something, any kind of suffering, we should pray about it. When we suffer, we should pray. That's the right season to pray. Another season, are we cheerful? Let us sing praise, just as we did this morning. We sang praise. We sang from Psalm 34. We sang words of praise, not about what we've done, but about what God has done. We praise God. And it says, if we're cheerful, this word cheerful, we can think a lot of different things when we think about cheerful, but this Greek word that is being used here by James, um, it's actually closer to the word courage. It's having a certain countenance about you that is not based on your circumstances. James has talked about this earlier in the book, having peace and joy outside of our circumstances, even when we're going through suffering. Here, he is saying, if we have that, if we have courage while we're suffering, if we have cheerfulness while things are hard, we should praise God. He's saying for each season of our life, there is an equal response that we should have in this whole theme of genuine faith leading to action. He says there are certain seasons in which we need to return that praise to God, or we need to cry out and petition to God that he would help us as we suffer. Then he lists another occasion. Verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. There's another season, another occasion, in which James says we should pray, and we should pray a certain kind of prayer. And this season that he is listing is one of sickness. This word sickness that James uses is a very complex Greek word, and it is used throughout the New Testament to indicate everything from spiritual weariness to death. I think by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, James is using this word on purpose because he means to say whether we are spiritually weary or even unto death, we should pray for healing. He's saying in the occasion, in the season, that there is sickness, if there is weariness, if there is illness, if there is some kind of spiritual ailment, if there is some kind of mental health struggle, we should pray for healing. What do we normally do when we are sick? We consult the internet, usually WebMD or Google or worse. We may consult a professional. We may change our diet, what we're taking into our body. We might start 
a different set of vitamins. We might start working out more. We might try supplements. We might try essential oils. We may try all kinds of things. And I've tried all of these things. We try all of these things when we are sick because we feel that between our intellect, the internet, and science, we can fix everything. How much time have you spent trying to heal yourself versus praying about your healing? I think for all of us, that scale is not very even, right? We try to go about solving our problems, whether it is spiritual weariness and mental health struggles, or if it is some kind of chronic illness and everything in between. We try to solve it ourselves. Here James tells us to do something we do not normally do, or we feel we don't do well when we are sick, and that is pray. And not only so, but ask others to pray for us as well. He even asks us to ask the elders of the church to come and pray over us when we are sick. I've been an elder now for nine years. I've been in full-time ministry for over 20 years. And the number of times where someone has come forward and asked the elders to pray for them and pray for their healing, I can count on one hand. Here, James is saying this should be a regular part of our faith, our church experience, and genuine faith leading to good works and righteous prayer. This passage brings on lots of thoughts. It brings on lots of skepticism as well. It's because we're afraid that this will lead to a presumption and abuses of this passage— Or we think, oh, I love this. This sounds great, but I don't really see it in my life or in my church or in my Christian experience. So why are we skeptical when we read verses like this? A couple of different viewpoints. A couple of different viewpoints that we have when we read a passage like this. One viewpoint could be healing is based on the size of our faith. There's some truth there. But as we look at this passage we get to see a little bit more nuance than that. The second viewpoint is similar, but the kind of opposite. Healing is not based on faith, but it is based on the power of God. Now, this may seem like a false dichotomy, but this is kind of two different viewpoints. And I'm not talking about just theological camps or groups on the internet or anything like that. I'm, I'm talking about inside of our own hearts. We have these viewpoints. We vacillate between the two, thinking, well, I'm not being healed because I don't have enough faith, and then saying, well, God will take care of it, and it actually leads to a lack of prayer in our life. Both of these viewpoints, if taken to their extreme, lead us to a place where we don't pray enough, we don't feel like we have enough faith, we're not a church of prayer, we don't ask the elders to heal us, we spend more time on WebMD than we do asking for healing. The amazing thing about God's word is it doesn't let us off the hook. It doesn't let us stay in this mess, this milieu, this this mess of viewpoints that's in our own heart that leads to a prayerlessness. The prayer that James is describing here is so much more. And here's why. Here's what we see in the text. So if we're just looking at this idea of viewpoint one, healing is based on the size of our faith. When we look at what the passage actually says, the faith of this passage is not based on the person who is sick. It is based on the faith of the elders praying over the person. It's clear as we read it. 
Friends, there are times when we don't have enough faith to even pray. But then we are told to lean into community, to lean into the elders, and ask them to pray in faith on our behalf. Our healing is not always based on the level of our faith. Haven't you experienced this? Where you've had all the faith in the world that your loved one wouldn't die, or all the faith in the world that God wouldn't want you or a loved one to go through chronic illness, or all the faith in the world that something was going to change, and then it doesn't. And it causes you to wonder what James is talking about here. It gets confusing because not everything we ask for comes to pass. Jesus even had this experience, right? I think if anyone had a direct line to God, if anyone had powerful and righteous prayer, it was Jesus. But he said, Jesus, if it's, or Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. And then it wasn't taken away. Our illness and our suffering is not always because of sin. In verse 15, we read, And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. James here is stating right here two things that are equally important for us to hear this morning. Sometimes we suffer because we sin. And sometimes we suffer just because we live in a fallen world. Our sin and our suffering are not tied together in some kind of weird karma way. James is saying here that sometimes someone's suffering or their weariness or even their illness may be connected to their sin, but there are times when that is not on the table. He's saying that clearly here in verse 15. The Old Testament example where Elijah walks out what God had told him, we're we're given this example here in the scripture of him praying. He had a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it would not rain for three years and six months, and then he prayed again, and rain came. This is something that God had promised to him. It was not based on the size of his faith, but it was based on God's promise and God's power. We read here in verse 17 that Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. If we look into the original language, we see here that he is made in God's image, just like you and I are. So James, nor the Bible, is propping up Elijah, saying, have faith like Elijah. He's saying Elijah was a man just like you and me in the flesh, yet God did something powerful through him. So as we can see, these verses here in James, what James is writing to us, do not let us just get stuck in this idea that healing is based just on the sides of our faith. And if I just had enough faith, then my loved one would have been healed. However, there's another viewpoint that healing is not based on faith, but on the power of God. This can actually lead us in some weird way to a lack of prayer because we say, well, it's up to God. I don't need to pray for healing. I don't need to pray in faith because God, he's sovereign. Well, the scripture doesn't let us off the hook here as well. We are led to a lack of prayerlessness. We get to a place where we don't call the elders forward to pray, or we don't pray during our sickness or our illness, or the illness of someone else. We read here that our healing sometimes does not come because we do not ask because of a lack of faith. So sometimes we don't have our prayers answered because we don't believe that God's going to do anything. Turn with me back to James 1. There's some symmetry or some bookends here that James is talking about when he's talking about faith and doubt and prayer and healing. So let's look back at what he wrote to us in James 1, 6 through 8. 
starting in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. James is telling us here that if we ask God, but we're just full of doubt and we don't believe that he's going to change anything, then we don't even have faith that God can or will intervene. As I said earlier, verse 15 shows us that sometimes our sin does cause our suffering, our weariness, what we're going through. Not always, as we just said, but sometimes it does. This was very connected in the Jewish culture for centuries and generations. This idea that the physical and the spiritual were way more connected than we ever think about it here in the modern West. We already discussed how the Old Testament God who made it not rain and who answered Elijah's prayer to make it rain, is still alive and well. We read things in the Old Testament, or even in the New Testament, and we hear how God interacted with man, or the faith that they have, and we think we could never have faith like them. But James tells us here that Elijah had a nature just like you and I. Read Elijah's story. Read Elijah's story. He was a hero of the faith sometimes, but not always. Just like everybody in Scripture the same God who stopped it from raining and then caused it to rain through the faith and prayer of Elijah is the same God that we serve and pray to today. And we are told in James chapter 4, verse 2, we do not have because we do not ask. There are things that you want to happen. There are things that you wish will happen. There are things that you are suffering through right now that God is ready, willing, and able to change, but you do not have because you do not ask. Same in my life too. And James here is saying, ask. The same God who stopped the rain for Elijah is the same God you are praying to today. And if the same power that rose Jesus from the grave now lives in you, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful as it is working. So James is telling us to pray. So we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about what the prayer of a righteous person looks like. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. To use the phrase or to use the verbiage here of James, the prayer of a person with genuine faith is powerful as it is working. James has taught us that our works show if our faith is true and in the right place. When we are walking in righteousness, our prayers are more powerful and more effective because we know what the Lord's will is. Going back to James 4, 2 through 3, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. This sermon and this subject is very much connected to the sermon we gave at the beginning of James 4. I encourage you to go back and take a look at that. But what James is telling us here is that a righteous person 
knows the will of God, knows the heart of God, and is walking in his righteousness. And that person's prayers are powerful and effective. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's what James is talking about. He is talking about a righteous person, a righteous person who is delighting himself, herself in the Lord, and that person's prayers are powerful, are effective, are based on the righteousness of Christ, are based on the justice of who God is, that cry out for the glory of God. James tells us here in 4 verse 3, sometimes we don't get what we pray for because we just want to spend it on our passions. We just want to make our life better or more comfortable. We want a release of the pressure. But when we pray that God would be glorified in any and all circumstances, then he answers that prayer. And as we grow in our faith, as we grow in our understanding of who God is and his will, our prayers become powerful and effective because we know more and more what is on the heart of God. So in summary, why don't we see people healed? We do not ask. We do not have faith. We do not know God's will and we ask wrongly. And so it gets us to a place where we stop asking. Let's see how James concludes this section in verses 19 and 20, and then we'll end with some very practical ways to pursue righteous prayer. Verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Because we are so focused on this idea of prayer this morning, and you're going to find out more why here in a little bit, as we're going to have a time of prayer, I don't want to skip past what James is saying here in these two verses. And I don't want us to skip past the kind of community that he is describing here. James is not describing here a group of people that just meet under the same roof once a week and then leave and go back to their homes and never interact with one another. James is describing for us a group of people that know God and know one another. They know God and they know one another to a point where they know if someone is wandering from the truth. They also have the relational capital with them that they know that they can go and warn them on the way their life is headed. This is describing a group of people confessing their sins to one another. This is a group of people that is forgiving those that have sinned against them or against God. This is describing a group of people that is biblical, gospel-centered, Jesus-following, and a true biblical community. That's what he's describing here. As we look at this section, as we look at this call on our life, this is describing a genuine believer who has walked away from the truth and is now living in sin. And this is describing a group of people that loves that person enough to speak the truth in love, to pray for their souls, to pray for their healing, to pray for God's help in their life, then goes and warns them in grace and truth. And then as they receive forgiveness from God, the biblical community welcomes them back into fellowship. What a beautiful picture of what life is supposed to look like. We get caught up 
in gossip and judgment instead of praying, instead of speaking the truth in love. James sees this as a natural outworking of not only these verses that we've covered in chapter 5, but the whole book of James. He is once again telling us that if we have genuine faith, it's going to lead to genuine works, which sometimes means speaking up and telling someone the truth, even when we don't feel like it. It means overcoming Midwest nice or Minnesota nice or Iowa nice or whatever nice you want to call it. James says we have a calling above niceness, especially for those in the family of faith, to speak the truth and love. And it says that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. He is describing a group of people that is warning those that are lost, inviting them into fellowship and welcoming them once they come back. So what does righteous prayer look like in this kind of biblical community? A few ways that we can conclude not only this series, but we can walk out this idea of righteous prayer. First, we need to know the will of God. We need to know the will of God. We need to know what is on his heart. We need to know what it means to delight ourselves in the Lord. We can't delight in someone that we don't spend time with. We need to know the will of God. We need to be people of the word. Brooks came back from his sabbatical this spring with two things that God had laid on his heart. And you're hearing about both of them this morning. One is the fact that we should study books of the Bible like we're about to do with First Peter and that we should be in the word for ourselves before we come and see what the pastor has to say about it. Because when we say we are people of the word, we don't just want to mean we are a church where a trained professional preaches verse by verse through books of the Bible. No, we want to be people of the word, meaning we are devouring and living in the word of God, that we are planted in the word of God, that we are, as the book of James says, receiving the implanted word of God with meekness, with humility. We are bowing our very lives and our wills to the words of God. That's why we're studying First Peter, the way that we are. Elijah knew the will of God. Elijah knew what was on God's heart. And it impacted his faith, just like it will for you and me. The disciples walked in great power and great prayer and were able to do amazing things. And what did people say about them? They noticed that they were uneducated, unskilled, uneloquent men, but their comment was, but these men have spent time with Jesus. We need to know the will of God by spending time with him and knowing what is on his heart. As we know God's will, then we ask for what we need. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We just had a team come back a couple of weeks ago from Guatemala uh, working with Mission Mobility and handing out um, wheelchairs to those in need in Guatemala. They also did a couple of building projects. And um, their wheelchairs are like gold, and so they keep very good track of the wheelchairs. I'm guessing getting wheelchairs to Guatemala is difficult. I don't know exactly how it works, but it's not easy. You just can't start off from the church parking lot and wheel them over there, right? It takes some logistics to get them there. And so they keep meticulous inventory, to know how many wheelchairs 
they have and how many they are giving out. So they have some redundancy built into inventory these wheelchairs. The team that just came from Grace to Guatemala and came home, they were telling the church staff this week that they counted every wheelchair as it went into the trailer, as they were taking it out to the people that needed them. They counted it as they went in, and there were 52 wheelchairs. Then two people went into the trailer and recounted all of them and counted 52 wheelchairs. Then they went to the village, they went to where the people are, and they gave out the wheelchairs. And another redundancy is they take a picture of everyone that got a wheelchair so they can count the wheelchairs again, and they can show what their ministry is all about. And there are 56 pictures of wheelchairs. Right. Amen. Uh, Yeah, I clap for God. That's an appropriate response. (laughs) I mean, as I hear that story, I am just viewpoint one, viewpoint two, viewpoint one, viewpoint two, like, right? I'm like, this had to happen. This is something God needed to do to glorify himself and meet the needs of other people and increase all of our faith. But part of me is like, you can't multiply wheelchairs. That's crazy. If God wants to accomplish something for his glory and the good of humans made in his image and to increase our faith, he's going to do it. And our little mustard seed faith and our modern, materialistic, Western minds, they're, they're not going to stop what God wants to do. So I ask you, what do you need? What do you need done? What is something that needs to happen in your life or in someone's life that you love that only God can do? What is something you've given up hope on because it seems too lost, too broken, too sick, too wounded, too messed up? What do you need this morning? What do you need done that only God can do? And then I ask you, have you asked? Have you had the faith to ask? And this may be a harder question. Do you have the faith to ask again? When you are tired of asking, ask. Next, we specifically pray for healing in this passage. We pray for our healing. We pray for the healing of others. We ask the elders and leaders in the church to pray over us. In verse 14 of chapter 5, it says that we should call the elders to anoint our head in oil. Anoint their head in oil. What is this talking about, well, there's, the commentaries don't agree on this, but if we look at the full counsel of scripture, most often when oil is applied to someone's head, that person is being consecrated. They're being set aside for the work of the Lord and the purposes of the Lord. So what this is saying is that the elders should cry out to God and say, God, we are setting this person aside for your special work in their life right now. That's what's happening here. We need to pray for our healing. We need to pray for the healing of others. We need to bring in elders. We need to bring in others to pray. We're going to do that here today in just a moment. Next, we need to lean into community. 
do you see in the book of James, and not only that, but every letter in the New Testament, how the things these authors are telling us to do are impossible if we're not in community with one another? How do we even know the needs? How do we have faith when we have none? How do we pray for others if we're not in community? We need to know one another well enough that we are regularly praying in faith on behalf of someone else when their faith is struggling. These have been the most powerful and supernatural moments in my life where I don't have the words, but someone else prays it over me. I feel like I am hearing from God in those moments. Are we leaning into community in a way where we have opportunities to pray and receive prayer in this way? C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says, the one really adequate instrument for learning about God is the whole of Christian community, which is waiting for him together. C.S. Lewis One of the deepest, most profound minds that has ever written about Christianity says there's only one real adequate instrument to learn about who God is, and it's the Christian community waiting on God together. Sometimes we don't have enough faith to ask because we're not leaning into the community around us to help build our faith. Next, join our prayer team. Starting this morning... There will be um, frequent occasions where there will be men and women standing right up here in front of the stage ready to intercede for you and pray for you. And that's going to start this morning. When I close here in just a moment, you can come forward and there are men and women that are going to pray for you, pray over you, pray in faith, pray the words that maybe you don't have or pray in the faith that you're struggling to have. Friends, no need is too big or too small to come forward and pray. You guys remember this spring when we passed out the little decals that said begin with prayer? I love going in people's houses and seeing those where everybody's put them on fridges and on mirrors and in their cars and all kinds of places. Being a people of prayer means that we pray together in groups big and small. So no need is too small. No need is too great to not come forward and pray. Don't think, well, my need's not big enough or I don't have time or maybe don't overthink it. Just come forward for prayer. Make a line. Let's make a line out the door. As we come forward in prayer, just this week, Pastor Josh and I were meeting our executive pastor and I shared with him, I really hope that my son can pass the swim test today because it's really going to boost his confidence if the summer doesn't end without him passing that swim test. And so Josh said, let's pray. Let's ask that your son passes that swim test because it will build his faith and it will be an encouragement to him. Come forward and pray that your kid would pass their swim test. There is one week left, people. (laughs) Or... What if you've had the same chronic illness and the same broken marriage and the same broken relationship for 20, 30, 40, 50, 80, 90 years? God is so good and so loving and so powerful. He wants to hear about both and he wants to intercede in both. And both situations can bring him honor and glory. 
You can join our prayer team and be one of these folks that prays over people in faith. And lastly, we're going to end this morning by coming forward for prayer. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray a very short prayer. And as I do, the prayer team is going to come forward. And then as we close, um, I want to encourage you to pray. I want to encourage you to come forward, stand in line, whatever it takes. We have built in time in between services. We've extended our time in between services. And one of the reasons is so that we would have more time to pray. Pray where you are. Grab someone next to you. Come forward. Leave in a posture of prayer. But that's how we're going to end today, by obeying what James says here, to be a people of prayer. Would you stand with me? We're going to end in prayer, and as we pray, the prayer team's going to come up, and then as soon as I say amen, please do as you're feeling prompted. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that though our faith is weak, you are strong. Thank you that you answer prayers. Thank you that you provide. Thank you that you know what we need before we even ask it. And God, I pray that nothing would be a barrier or a hindrance to those that need to come forward for prayer. God, we want to see you move. We want to see you glorified. We want to see bodies healed, minds restored. We want to see hope given. We want to see sin forsaken. We want to see you restore relationships that are broken for your name's sake, Jesus, and for the glory of you, our good heavenly Father. We ask that your spirit would move. We ask that we would be a people of prayer. We pray that we would be a people that delights ourselves in the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.